the poet says, I know some of you have your doubts. You suffer long and hard. It feels like your life is out of the hands of God and the poet says, don't believe it. That time when Assyria came down and scattered the people of God, that time when, when Babylon came in and ravaged Jerusalem, that wasn't outside of the plan of God. That was the plan of God. Nothing that we experience is outside of the hand of God. God is God. God will always be God. So says the poet. He is the God of the seas. He is the God of the land. He is the God of all of heaven and earth and the God of your sufferings too. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Our scripture that we're going to look at this morning is a little bit of Hebrew poetry. This is from Psalm 66. I'd like to read it to you. The poet writes, Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. Come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let the rebellious, let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let peoples ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you, vows my lips have promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and an offering of rams. I will offer bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love for me. 
This is God's word. It's only proper this morning that I begin this sermon with an acknowledgement of God's power. Even God's enemies will cringe before him. They will have to. I want to I wanna back out, give you a little bit more context this morning. We're here in the season of Advent. And in the season of Advent, each Sunday of this season, there are four of them, has a very specific mission, a vital purpose in the lives of the people of God. The first Sunday reminds us that Christ is coming back. The second Sunday tells us exactly how to prepare for this coming of Christ. The third Sunday, we actually start to get excited about it. It's called Gaudita Sunday, which is Latin for joy Sunday. And the fourth Sunday, finally, 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 we get to peek into the manger. Christ is almost born, but not today, not yet. Today, we stop and we prepare to meet full on, all out, God. Christ has come and Christ will come again and when he does, our eternity hinges on whether we are prepared for him or not. Now we're ready. Because the poet here helps us prepare to meet God. The poet begins like this. He comes fast. He comes hard. He says, all the earth, I want you to raise a battle cry. The only thing that I know that we can liken it to here in the South is when you go to a college football game and the the team comes onto the field and all of a sudden you hear this roar, this battle cry, except this isn't a college football team, this is God. And this isn't just some stadium somewhere in the South. This is all the earth. Raise a battle cry. God is coming and He is the King. He is such the King that even His enemies the poet says, have to cringe before him. They'll have to. Even if every fiber of their being wills against it, they will bow the knee. So says the poet. That stands a one of his hymn. Here stands a two. Do you have any questions about that, the poet says? Let me prove it to you. Come and see, he says, who God is. Have you seen his works? God is so the king of all of heaven and earth that when he willed it, the seas became dry land and the Red Sea dried up and his people walked through like it was a desert and then two seconds later, Pharaoh and the bodies of his army washed up on shore. You want to see who God is? Look at God. You will meet him someday. Any questions? That stands a two. 
And now here's stanza three. The poet says, I know some of you have your doubts. You've suffered long and hard. It feels like your life is out of the hands of God. And the poet says, don't believe it. That time when Assyria came down and scattered the people of God. That time when, when Babylon came in and ravaged Jerusalem. That wasn't outside of the plan of God. That was the plan of God. Nothing that we experience is outside of the hand of God. God is God. God will always be God. So says the poet. He is the God of the seas. He is the God of the land. He is the God of all of heaven and earth and the God of your sufferings too. So there you have it. There you have it, people of God. There you have it. Meet your God. The poet comes to you and he throws down the gauntlet. He challenges you. Are you ready to meet this God. There's a pretty important study that was done a few years ago. It's done by a sociologist by the name of Christian Smith. Christian Smith went around the United States of America and did interviews of teenagers asking them what they believed about God. You can read uh, the interviews there published in a book. I want to share one of them that is representative of the way that the interviews went. Interviewer. When you think of God, what image do you have of God? Teen responded. Yawn. Interviewer, what is God like? Um, good? Powerful. Interviewer, anything else? Tall. Tall? Big. Do you think God is active in people's lives or not? I don't know. Christian Smith, in his now, it's a gold standard of understanding spirituality in America today, went on to prove through hundreds and hundreds of interviews that most people who think of themselves as Christians today actually do not hold any historic Christian beliefs. Now remember, he's a unbiased as possible, objective kind of researcher, he says that they actually believe a totally different religion. He says, gone are any kind of Christian doctrines like God is our authority, we live under him and, and by him, and that we're sinners and that we need redemption, and that in fact Christ our Lord through faith in him provides redemption for us and in his place is a totally different God. 
For most people today, God is only a being who exists to help them be happier and to solve their problems. Christian Smith summed it up like this. He said, God is something like combination divine butler and cosmic therapist. He is always on call, takes care of any problems that arise, professionally helps people feel better about themselves, and does not become too personally involved in the process. And that's why I love Advent. Because it's a wake-up call. Advent was never a time in the church to be gauzy and soft where we drink hot chocolate and you come to church and the preachers speak sweet nothings about how we're actually pretty good people who do pretty good things and the only problem is that some people are a little bit too impoverished and so we should be nice little people and help them because it's a tough world out there. No, Advent is serious. We're going to meet God. And that's what the poet says, and that's what John the Baptist says, and that's what John the Baptist says, and that's what the poet says. Meet your God. And here he is. And what he does is he reverses so much of what we can believe to be true. God does not exist for us. He pre-exists us. God is not there to be our cosmic therapist. He delivers news to us that we are our own worst problem and that we desperately need his salvation. So that's the first part of the psalm. But thank God it's not the only thing the psalmist says. The poet goes on. He goes into the second part of the poem in a rush. Locationally, geographically, he's on the run. He wants us to be on the run too. In fact, the way that he presents it is he says, I want to be a witness to you, a a testimony. This is how you meet this God. And so he runs. We watch him run. The first move that he makes is he runs to church. He goes to the temple. With him he brings fattened animals and and rams and bulls and, and goats. And he takes those animals and he slaughters the animals. And then he gives us a witness of what it means, what it affects. He says, I prayed to God and he answered me. He says, if I would have cherished sin in my heart, God wouldn't have answered. But he heard my cry and he gave me his love. Praise God, he said. Praise God that God did not reject my prayer or withhold his love for me. 
So if the first part of the poem tells us who God is, and then the second part of the poem tells us what to do about it, we can trust this poet. He's not an angry preacher. You know the type, the angry, pitiless preacher who gets up in his pulpit and starts railing down on all the sinners below him? You can dismiss that kind of preacher actually rather easily. He's not a pitiless, angry preacher. What he is, is a pious one. A sensitive soul. He is the kind of preacher who does not win you by his charisma. He wins you by the authenticity of his belief. He is the kind of preacher that has so much more than the authority of a pulpit. He speaks from the authority of the faith that lives in his heart. He is the kind of preacher who has integrity. Not just with the words that he says, but, the, but by the life that he leads in front of the people. And so he tells us, this is what I did about it. I didn't run away from God. I ran to God. I ran to God at church. And when I did, I took with me animal sacrifices. I don't even know how to say this except that in the poetry, it's almost like it's overkill. I'm saying that sensitively because he brings all kinds of animals. It's fattened animals and it's, and it's goats and it's rams and it's cattle. It's animal after animal after animal. And maybe you notice that it's all plural. It's not just a fattened animal. It's fattened animals. It's goats and it's cattle and it's rams. It's all plural. The poet, we could say it like this, is contrite. He is sorry that he has angered God with his sin. Before I go any further, I want to slow down and acknowledge something to you. This, all of it, can be rather jarring. For people who aren't used to how Christians actually do Christmas, it can be rather jarring. I remember a lady, I found out about this only through somebody else, but there was a lady, she was coming to our church for quite some time and then she stopped coming. And I heard through the grapevine, why? She said the pastor was too serious. And it scared her. I was grieved that she stopped coming. But I was actually heartened that she caught how serious I am. God is the most serious thing in all of heaven and earth. And there's no getting around it. There's no getting around the fact that when we encounter God, 
There is only one correct way to do it. First, with contrition. One of the most important theologians who ever lived, his name is Martin Chemnitz. He said that a person is not a Christian who has never experienced the terror of their sin before God. There's no getting around that. Contrition is necessary. It is impossible for a person to know the joy and have faith in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins unless first they know they have needed it. See, contrition is the first step that comes before faith. Do you have it? Don't assume that you do. The great church teacher, Augustine, Martin Chemnitz after him, hundreds and thousands of pastors just like me in pulpits around the world have all said the same thing. Don't assume that you do. Many people assume that they are contrite. But they're not. In fact, Martin, Martin Chemnitz says that it is the pastor's duty to help people examine themselves to see if they are. So how do you know that you are? Well, let me tell you what contrition is. Contrition is not a list of your sins. Now, it's good. It's good, right? We should have an awareness of what our sins are. But that's not what contrition principally is. It's not a list or a catalog of their sins. Lots of people can catalog their sins. That's not yet contrition. Contrition is also not, not, it's more than this, it's not knowledge that you deserve punishment for it. It's not yet that. Lots of people know what their sins are at some level, and lots of people realize that they deserve some kind of punishment or judgment for their sins. It's not yet contrition. What is? Caring about that before God. That's contrition. Not, not, not that, oh, I feel like such a poor sinner. I, I feel really bad about myself. Not, oh man, people notice that I'm not a very good person. Not that, no. That God, I have hurt him. And you're shattered. And with true concern, you don't want to do it anymore. That's contrition. The poet put it like this. He said, if I had cherished sin, 
See, it's not that he didn't have any sin, it's that he didn't like it. He grieved it. That's contrition. But now you need to remember this. Contrition is only the first step in repentance. It is not repentance itself. Contrition has, repentance has two parts. The one is that you feel badly about your sins. The other is that you have faith that you're forgiven. Judas, he sensed at some level what he had done to Jesus in betraying Jesus. He sensed it. What he didn't have yet was faith. Contrition is the first step, but it's not the destination. Contrition is the first part. It's not the foundation. Faith is. Take the turn now. I'm going to preach about that a whole lot more in just a second, but I've got to preface it. And I want to preface it like this. I know my church pretty well. At least I like to think I do. There's a lot of sensitive souls here. When I preach the word here, when Vicar does, a lot of times you can almost sense it. You can hear a needle drop. These people are tuned into God. People are sensitive to God and His word here. And people who are sensitive to God and his word and listen to a sermon like that, there's a, there's a danger. And the danger is this. That you get stuck in contrition. And one of the best ways to get stuck is in contrition is you say this. You become concerned that you haven't yet been contrite enough. I want to say two things about that. The first is this. You're right. You haven't been. Part of contrition is realizing we are such bad sinners that we don't even feel badly enough for our sins. Our contrition doesn't even match what we've done. That's part of what it means to be a sinner. The second thing is this. That doesn't mean you're con not contrite. Somebody who wasn't contrite wouldn't care at all. If you at all care, then you're contrite. And if you're there, then it's time to move on. Contrition is a step. It is not the destination. It's the first thing. It's not the last. We move from contrition to faith. And faith rises when you see the kill. I'm very moved by the poet today. I hope that you are too. God provided for the poet the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so he brings sacrifices, animal sacrifices to God. And he, he uses those sacrifices in faith so that when he prays, then God listens to him and loves him. So he approaches God in faith in these sacrifices. Don't you see it? Don't you see it? 
Advent is not gauzy and soft. It's serious. It's the kind of day where you come in and you see John the Baptist in church. He's wild eyes. He's got his crazy clothes on. And he says to the people, meet God. But it's not the only thing that he says. He doesn't just say the wrath of God is coming. He says, no, no, no. You get down there in the water. And when you have been down in the water, your sins have been washed away. Advent is that. It's serious. It's also seriously saving. Christian, Christmas is the same way. John was just getting us ready for it. When Christ came, they laid him in a stone manger. Don't believe your nativity set. It wasn't even wood. Animals chew up wood and spit it out. It wasn't wood. It was a stone manger. That's where the Christ child first rested. And then he left this world resting in the cold slab of a tomb. Christ's life from beginning to end was sacrifice. Don't you see it? Christ is the sacrifice to end all animal sacrifices. He is the, the fattened animals and the rams and, and the cattle and the goats. Don't you see it? Christ is everything that you need. Dear, tortured soul. Dear, tortured Christian. Christ was killed for sin. And that's serious. Seriously saving. Don't you see it? When we go to God at church, we don't go with animals. We go with the beautiful life of Christ. It's not a cow. It's the blood of the Son of God. It's not a ram. It's as John the Baptist taught us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world Christ is enough for you. In fact, I think I could put it like this if you take it sensitively. Christ is overkill. He's more than enough for you. He is a sacrifice that is enough for the entire world. Let your faith rise and meet your God with Him. I want to close this sermon today with one very brief comment. The poet closes his psalm with what he believes is the most amazing news in the entire world. Did you catch it? He thought it was the most amazing thing in the world, the thing that he was going to bless God for, the thing that he was going to praise God for. He says, this is the most amazing news in the world. Do you want to know what it is? 
God, listen to me. And God loves me. The poet thinks that's the most amazing news in the world. Now think about that for a second. He could have told you what the answer to his prayer was. He could have said, you know, what I'm praising God for is my wife got cured of cancer. Or he could have said, you know, I'm praising God because God got me that job that I really needed. He didn't say that. He didn't even tell you what the answer to his prayer was. What was he excited about? That God heard him at all. Only a person who knows that God shouldn't listen and that shouldn't love would be amazed by that. Do you know what the most amazing thing in the world is? Do you know what it is? That when you meet your God with Christ, when you meet Him, the only truly consequential being in all of the universe, the the being upon whom your eternity hinges, when you meet Him in faith, that He will hear you and listen to you and love you. Blessed be His holy name. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, let your church arise to meet her mighty King. Let not faithless heart despise the peace he came to bring. All glory to the Son who comes to set us free. With Father, Spirit, ever one through all eternity.